people often say that a psychedelic ceremony, like going to ayahuasca for mm -hmm. two or three nights, is like years of therapy. Mm -hmm. um, but how I like to respond to that is I like to highlight that perhaps it's a bit like having years of insights, but it's definitely not years of behavior change. And us in the contextual mm -hmm. behavioral science world, we always like to talk about the importance of behavior change. I even like to go as far as boldly saying, if there's no behavior change, there's no integration. Because you can have your inner behavior change, maybe of experience, mm -hmm. seeing things differently. But then if it doesn't, um, if it's not carried out into outer behavior change, then it's very likely our inner behavior change will just drift back to our old perspectives. But if we change our environment, then that will support the new perspectives being sustained. And that's how it can yeah. be a more lasting experience. So yeah. yeah, we get, so to summarize, we get maybe years of insights, but not years of behavior change. So therefore it's our job to make the years like of behavior that, change yeah. happen efficiently after the psychedelic experience. Welcome back to Act Root to Fruit. My name is Marcel Tassar. I'm a psychologist in private practice and a coach and uh, excited to bring you episode number 33 here. This, uh, if you're new uh, to this endeavor, it is a project to help myself and other therapists uh, be as, as uh, precise as possible with this, uh, this ACT stuff, this FAP stuff, uh, this... Uh, um, clinical behavior analysis stuff. Yeah, so um, today's uh, episode is with uh, Dr. Henry Whitfield, who's a peer-reviewed ACT trainer. He's written and co-written edited training manuals for ACT, Trauma Incident Reduction, and FAP. As a visiting research fellow at Regents University London, he focuses his research on the development of ACT-consistent models for psychedelic-assisted therapy. He's also author of a recent publication that we're going to discuss in depth here, A Spectrum of Cells, which is tailored to a psychedelic therapy context. It was published in 2021 in Research and Psychiatry, Frontiers in Psychiatry, and I'll put a link to that paper in the show notes. Um, his psychedelic plant medicine path has changed how he does psychotherapy, especially with self-concept issues. Uh, we discuss these uh, issues and f uh, of self and finish with a real play demonstration of Henry leading me through a um, integration session. Henry has an upcoming training, in-person training near Barcelona, Spain in June. Starts June 26th to July 2nd. And uh, the title is Expanded Act for Psychedelic Assisted Therapy, Integration, Trauma Focus Act, Including Traumatic Incident Reduction and Parts Work. I will put a link to that, uh, to his training company, where you can see a description of that uh, in, in depth there. You know, this, this topic is one that's near and dear to my heart, probably one of the more personal episodes that I've recorded so far. I'm interested in putting together a kind of long-term training, small group training for therapists who would like to uh, learn to integrate their own experiences and thus help clients prepare for and integrate their own psychedelic experiences. So if you're interested in something like that, uh, please reach out to me and, and let me know. It would be like a kind of weekly or by, you know, once every two weeks uh, experience online, Zoom type thing. I'm thinking different um, consultants, uh, maybe a few that would rotate and, and myself. So I am uh, I'm here right now actually recording this in El Valle de Sibundoy, Colombia. Um, and uh, in front of this beautiful mural that Alexander uh, Tandioy is doing, I'm going to put a link to his Instagram below. You might have noticed that the uh, music 
is uh, a new tune here. And uh, as I turn the page, in many ways, I uh, am uh, marking that with some music from a good friend of mine here in Colombia. The band is Zulena, Roberto y um, Sandra Zuleta. So I'll put a, a, a link to correspond with them if you'd like to purchase any of their music. Mm, and a link to their YouTube page. With that, here's episode number 33. Could you talk a bit about the, the uh, self as content versus self as process and, or, or context? Um, well, actually, and actually, you know, what I was going to say was self as process versus self as context. I like, I like in your article how you expand on that. Yeah, it's kind of a lot there. So I'm just going to dive in. <laughs> there's a lot, as you know, there's in my article, there's like seven selves and what, yeah, so yeah, what, yeah, what yeah, is, yeah. or even just seeing as three selves, how they all interrelate is a fairly complex subject. But um, so, yeah, I think it's, I feel drawn to talk from my psychedelic experience and my personal psychedelic experience, starting with self as content. So, yeah, because, like I said, psychedelics are such an intensifier. So, of course, for a long time, I've been familiar, maybe 12 years, I've been training people in ACT or something, something like that. Um, and after I did ayahuasca, my sense of self as content <laughs> was um much uh, expanded my own personal self as content mm-hmm. and the one rather dramatic way i summed it up was to say that my 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 view of my entire past changed mm-hmm. because i could see a whole set of uh you know projections and way i'd related to people and the way they'd related to me through my whole life i could see it all in a whole new light because um, yeah, another thing, an important part of my paper is the uh, uh, presence of the implicit or the unconscious, it can also be called, or the stuff that you don't really know, you don't know, um, which you know, the cognitive behavioral tradition isn't best known for focusing on that, we shy away from psychodynamic terms like the unconscious and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, yeah. Of course, there is stuff we don't know that we don't know about ourselves, and we're living from certain assumptions. So anyway, my clarity of view on all my who I thought I was and how I was living my life was greatly changed. But simultaneously, my future all looked different as well, because the because I could see who I'd been being more clearly and how I'd related to people and how I, you know you know, projections I would make or how I would see the world and myself. So my future looked different as well because I, I kind of had a sense I'm not going to do that as much. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's hard to people, and sometimes in psychedelic literature, say that it's hard to unsee what when you've seen certain things. Although a counter to that, of course, is the, the afterglow is known to wear off as well. Um, so we do slip back into old habits, but it's still a bit different even when we do slip back into old habits, hopefully. Um, or it's easier to reaccess, re- come out of the old habits again for a second time once you've been out of them once before yeah. with further integration sessions. And of course, self as process, which has you know, been criticized in, I think, Steve Hayes in his, um, Steve Hayes and colleagues in 2020 JCBS. Journal of Contextual Behavioral Science, special issue for psychedelics, 
January 2020 um, highlighted how self as process had been neglected in, it's not really mentioned in the traditional hexaflex model. Um, and so, yeah, I like to see self as process as a bridge between, as, as one of the first steps of stepping out of your content, you're more in the present, because so many uh, therapeutic traditions speak about the importance of being present. Mm -hmm. It's a very old, you know, um, in uh, Buddhism, it goes back a long way, I'm sure many other uh, spiritual traditions as well, there's emphasis on what it is to be present. And so selfless process is very key. I like, yeah, I like to think of it as a bridge between maybe in a way the first step out of just being in your story and believing your story. And then moving into self, what's traditionally called self as context. It's a bit of a, a, a wordy, mindy term, I think, but um, and I think it's bringing, it's my understanding of how I see self as context, I think of it as more bringing that awareness and presence to your own sense of self. Um, it sounds similar to just noticing yourself as content, but yeah, having a sense of self that's separate from story. And of course, we it's a constant, our minds produce constant content and we create new stories all the time, being able to maintain that sense of self that isn't identified or defined by language or cognition. Um, mm -hmm. And in psychedelics, psychedelics, more intense psychedelic experiences give us an even more uh, intense experience of letting go of more and more layers of who we think we are. Not just kind of unhelpful stories, but you know, we can even experience getting our own names and there's always more layers of how language, language is, you know, another thing I love about contextual behavioral science is how it highlights the importance of being aware of the function. You know, I need to remember my name is Henry Whitfield and tomorrow I have to do certain things and maybe I have, maybe I have to pay a bill or apply to an email. That's not unhelpful selfless content story, but it's kind of essential, mm -hmm. useful selfless content, still part of my story. And through psychedelics, we can we can have experiences of what lies beyond that, even of even um, so it's a more hardcore version, I think. Mm -hmm. like a, yeah, well, a it's one of the ways I've thought about. I'm oh, sorry, go ahead. What hardcore um, version of what? Of just all these different selves. Of, mm -hmm. whether, it's a, whether we can be, of course, we can always be more and more present, or this kind of always seems to be always more stuff, or usually there's more stuff to step out of that were, it might be stuff that's you know, uh, mind or language that is serving us, mm -hmm. we can still step out of it. And so I see that as a more hardcore, more intensified version of understanding how yeah. what, mind, what mind is and what it is to step out of it. Um, yeah, one of the, the ways I've, I've thought about it is, is kind of like, a, it's like having a, a drill sergeant for a therapist, you know, like, it's not, it's not always fun, <laughs> and, but you're, you're being guided uh, in, in to see some things there that uh, might have taken some more time to, to see and experience, if ever. Oh, the psychedelic is the drill sergeant. Yeah. It's just kind yeah. of being, yeah, more pushy than your normal therapist might dare. <laughs> Maybe. Kind of. I like to think it's usually, I mean... I think it usually feels pretty consensual when I have psychedelic experiences, but yeah, if you have very, very consensual. Oh, consensual. Um, 
Well, at least, yeah, it's interesting that even with very powerful psychedelics, the most powerful psychedelics like 5-MeO-DMT, which um, some people sum that up as giving you a kind of almost immediate death experience of completely mm -hmm. leaving your entire sense of who you are and, and mm -hmm. you know, having an experience a lot like how death might be to experience. Um, even with that, you can still say, no, I don't like this experience. I'm not going along with it. There's this thing that we have to let go in psychedelic experiences, which is very key, isn't it? To learning anything, you have to kind of do it yourself. You have to be part of the process that just kind of happens to you. Then you learn less because we learn by doing, by consciously taking a step and getting a feel for what that is to take that step. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah. It's, um, you can have, uh, definitely you can have a tough time. Yeah. Um, in, a, in an ayahuasca ceremony, but like, again, like ACT teaches us, it's often the more we resist things, you know, this kind of Chinese finger trap, uh, mm -hmm. physical metaphor that we use can teach us that the more we try and control something, that the more of a, a problem that can be, or the more we kind of squash ourselves through fighting the, the quicksand. Jeez, yeah. Metaphor. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so just to sum up the, the process as processes, the bridge between self as content and self as perspective or self as context, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the paper is a lot about seeing it as a scale. I, I liked, I think it's a nice way to integrate lots of uh, data and experiences is to see how they might fit on some kind of continuum. So, mm -hmm. so something I found often very useful. So that's what the paper is proposing as a way to integrate all these different experiences. And therefore even the other five hexaflex processes, such as values and willingness and fusion, diffusion, they can all be on scales as well. So that as you um, are less identified with content, you're less you're, you're likely to be more willing, maybe more aware of what's important to you. Um, it's just one way of redesigning or uh, approaching the core six, the six core processes. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah I love the table as... that you put together there uh, in terms of looking at self, these, these various selves uh, through the, the six core processes. It's lovely. I really, I'm really glad you like that because I nearly yeah. cut it out of the article. I thought, is this too much? It's quite a long article. Yeah. Um, so I'm glad you like that because I kind of thought, yeah. am I getting a bit too geeky and mindy here? And um, but that's nice. Yeah. No. The, the yeah the 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 example. I think that um, you know I I always appreciate bullet points as kind of ways to sum up you know large chunks of information and uh and i think that 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 section there is is even for those who have no interest in in the psychedelics or working with you know folks who are uh, self psychedelically inclined i think is a, a marvelous way of thinking about the selves um and and the act work and tangible ways great thank you yeah yeah what else what else should we go where else can we go here to <laughs> we haven't talked about um the, the kind of latter half of the paper um so we've talked about the first half which is kind of understanding how different senses of self might fit into psychedelic experience 
Um, and then the other, uh, the title of the paper is A Spectrum of Selves, which we've kind of discussed to some degree. And that's the second clause of the same title is reinforced in multi-level coherence. So mm -hmm. an assumption of the paper is that with larger changes, larger, larger shifts in behavior, larger shifts in sense of self that might invite larger shifts in behavior, that those larger shifts might be harder to sustain because there could be more systemic barriers. It's likely there are more systemic barriers to maintaining that change. Which yeah. is something that's... Because, because the barriers don't change with the psychedelic exploration. Yeah. So uh, we're looking at... Um, the external another... barriers, I should say. Yeah. So the final diagram at the end of the supplementary materials, I think, is entitled something like a chain of contexts through the therapy. So because psychedelic therapy has three main phases, preparation, actual psychedelic experience and then mm -hmm. integration so needs and then you're going to have life and then you're going to have probably more preparation more um psychedelic experience more integration or any longer ongoing therapeutic process is going to be iterative and have probably multiple interventions through time mm -hmm. so i found it useful to imagine that like a chain of contexts where each context influences the next complex context and then from that, we're looking for systemic change because for something to be lasting, for our behavior to be self-sustaining and long-lasting, mm -hmm. then it needs to um, have some way of reinforcing itself. And if there are systemic barriers kind of punishing it or getting in the way, then that's it's probably going to peter out. It's not going to be lasting change. So the second half of the paper is looking at alignment or um, how coherence. Um, yeah, you recently interviewed Louise McHugh, and, and mm -hmm. I, I think it was um, attending a presentation of hers once that I first came across the concept that coherence is a, a powerful reinforcer, reinforcer, and or incoherence conversely might be a powerful punisher to mm -hmm. behavior. Um, when, when you use that term, um, just for those who are not uh, literate in RFT, would you mind sharing what you're, what you're meaning by coherence? Um, yeah, well, the way I'm using it right now, I just mean... Um, Colloquially, you're using it this, the same. Um, yeah, I think it's... Yeah, I don't think I'm using it in a, in a particularly... Um, uh, abstract or very highly defined kind of RFT style use of it. But I just mean um, when your understanding of yourself and the universe doesn't add up, if it feels incoherent, at least a kind of feeling of maybe a bit of confusion or yeah. don't really, um, we don't connect with it very well. So, so just, we could just say adolescence then? <laughs> Well, yeah, it goes way beyond adolescence. <laughs> I know, right? Although we have extended That's adolescence. A... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I've certainly had an extended adolescence. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Yeah, <laughs> me too. Mm -hmm. um, so we want um, our lives to make sense. And often, I think the way maybe that was used originally or a lot in RFT circles and contextual behavioral science circles was that very often we get attached to a coherence that doesn't serve us. Mm -hmm. We think, oh, I, I know I'm 
such and such a kind of particular person and it feels too incoherent to assume I'm not that anymore. So I'm just going to stay in my kind of strange comfort zone, which I don't really like on one level, but I'm strangely comfortable with it. So I'm going to stay locked in that. But I think we can also use coherence or parts of a, you know, a person's life is made up of so many different parts, all our relationships and things that we do. And if the different forces within that tapestry of our lives are kind of counteracting each other or in conflict, then that's not very um, satisfying. And if things are opposing our behavior change, then um, that's a problem. We're probably going to give up on that behavior change. But what I think is useful about this idea of coherence yeah. is if yeah. the way I think coherence it align it aligns with the concept of alignment quite well. How alignment or coherence can serve us as well. Because you know, anything can either serve us or not serve us. And it's kind of up to us to try and choose a combination of behaviors and choices and life situations that does serve us. Um, so we can uh, align our relationships. We have relationships that uh, support us or we're parts of a community that can uh, be helpful that we feel we're contributing to that appreciates us. That we, I think we all, you know, we all have this core need to belong. We want to belong, don't we? We don't want to be in conflict all the time. So if we can make choices that um, heads in that direction of a more coherent, more aligned life, then the um, behavior change is more likely to be sustainable. Mm -hmm. So the, the <clears throat> uh, second half of the paper is about um, supporting folks in, in doing that. Yeah. Yeah. So also you know, being aware of why you're doing what you're doing. So if you meditate, it's a classic thing in psychedelic integration, you might take walks in nature and meditate or something. Mm -hmm. um, but if we put that within a contextual behavioral science framework, we also want to think about, well, why am I meditating? Mm -hmm. So general purpose well-being could be one motivating force. Mm -hmm. It could be even more specific motivating forces, such as, yeah, if we... Um, um, you have a new sense of self, a new compassionate sense of self, and you want to cultivate that and the kind of actions that flow from that, then if your meditation is actually about cultivating and extending that, then that might give you extra energy and motivation to do the meditation. Also, it could be aligned with or framed in terms of having better relationships. Say you decided you want to have better relationships. Then if you think, well, I'm not just meditating for general well-being, I'm medita meditating so I can be more present when I'm having that difficult conversation with my family later. Um, and um, so, yeah, I think ultimately we need our behaviors to be self-reinforcing because if there isn't enough reinforcing them, then they're likely to peter out. Um, yeah, so we want our behaviors to be self-reinforcing. Yeah. Yeah, so um, as we choose to live the life, if we're, especially if we're trying to change our lives big time, which I think psychedelics invite us to do, mm -hmm. then I think it's powerful if we can make choices that somehow feed back into themselves like a loop. Yeah, I think mm -hmm. um, there's a new chapter. I don't know if it's even come out yet. Um, so I'm influenced a little bit here by... Jean-Louis Monasters and Steve Hayes, I think that one an idea that they're, just, they're, they're discussing 
not totally sure if this chapter's come out yet, but they don't mind me mentioning this. Um, I'm accrediting them with it. Um, is um, it's like a turbo, you know how a turbo works in a, ca a car, a turbo engine. So the, or the power from the exhaust feeds back into the engine process. Okay. So I think that's yeah. a nice um, yeah, yeah, yeah. image for if behavior change can be a bit like that. Because I think a lot of nature is like that, isn't it? Um, mm -hmm. Like so many things in nature are eternal. Nature is eternal. How the trees that grow around us, the process of growth and um, and nothing goes to waste as the leaves fall off it's more uh fertilizes the ground or produces nutrients for the soil there's this mm -hmm. constant kind of eternal feedback loop that kind of keeps it going yeah um so if our behavior change can have that kind of self-sustaining feedback loop somehow then that might be really helpful so yeah, one, um, one, another thing mentioned in my paper is the evolutionary perspective of variation, selection, and retention, which yeah, many people who follow contextual behavioral science will be aware that that's quite a force now in contextual behavioral science research. So yeah, it's just good to have variation. It's just good to have lots of other possibilities of how you know, we can explore um, doing psychedelic therapy. I'm sure there's going to be lots of great innovations outside of contextual behavioral science as well. And um, you can just, mm -hmm. um, maybe what I like to think of as a strength of my paper is I've kind of tried to integrate a lot. There's lots of ideas out there. I've tried to integrate them into one view that fits within contextual behavioral science because it's quite a fragmented field. So I've tried to bring mm -hmm. a lot of that stuff together so it's kind of easier to see it in one view rather than this yeah. varied, kind of complicated field where yeah, it's, it's harder to figure out what to do when. If we can see it all within one vision, yeah. it's easier to kind of piece, piece it together and think, oh yeah, in this situation do that and in that situation do that. It's kind of easy to, easier to get a feel for that. Hopefully. Yeah, it has it has that feel, and I and I, I um, uh, want to I don't know just honor you for for that uh, all that work that obviously you put into it. That's uh, um, grateful for for your uh, your um, journey in this in this area. It feels like a nice uh, a, a worth a very worthy contribution to to. Um, what's what's already been started by others and what you're building on so well i thought i don't i don't know is there anything before we get into um maybe doing an example here a little little real play around integration um post-psychedelic experience that you know we want to touch on um that we didn't touch on just give a overview of some of the pointers of how i see it um um I'd, just to give more context, maybe, yeah, I've, I, I like to emphasize that psychedelic therapy has three phases to it. So there's preparation. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I, you mentioned that you'd be willing to talk about a recent experience you'd had, you've had yourself. Mm -hmm. So you probably did some preparation, or even if it wasn't that intentional, you have prepared anyway through, I know you've read books like Michael Pollan's book, and mm -hmm. um, you have... Uh, many things probably that influence how you presented yourself, how you showed up to the psychedelic experience. 
then there's yeah. the psychedelic experience itself. And I think it's very useful to see it as a linear process because if you don't really mm -hmm. open up during the psychedelic experience itself, then not that much is going to be, much less is going to be there for you to engage with during the integration period, the third phase. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah. So, and as we enter integration, then what a big, you know, something that's coming out of the thematic analysis of interviews that we've been doing is people often will have some way of what well, they need to return to the psychedelic experience. They need some way of access in order to make sense of what happens. You need to access it somehow. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. um, yeah, you mentioned that you've have experience of the 12 steps, the kind of 12 steps world, which you know, speaks of a higher power. Is that right? Mm -hmm. and um or something greater than ourselves and how do we have a relationship with that and so i think it overlaps with that old, quite old idea that goes all the way back to in prayer and religions um how do we kind of connect with a perspective that's a bit beyond or more expanded from our more narrow everyday more egoic perspective yeah yeah so that's very much part of i think psychedelic therapy or psychedelic integration because you've had this big peak experience and it's easy for it to just fade from your mind. But if you have some kind of practice yeah. of a way of accessing that perspective again, then um, that's mm -hmm. helpful. I appreciate you really, you know, uh, contextualizing this because I think for a lot of folks, um, the psychedelic experience is one of, you know, a kind of a party thing going to a music event or, um, which is fine. I'm not, you know, poo-pooing that, but, um, you know, what we're talking about here is, um, expanding as much as possible on the utility of of this plant medicine and uh um, that needing you know that needing some 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 foresight and then some work some lifting afterwards mm, yeah another way i like to sum up kind of what you're touching on there i think is people often say that a psychedelic ceremony like going to ayahuasca for mm -hmm. two or three nights is like years of therapy Mm -hmm. um, but how I like to respond to that is I like to highlight that perhaps it's a bit like having years of insights, but it's definitely not years of behavior change. And us in the contextual mm -hmm. behavioral science world, we always like to talk about the importance of behavior change. I even like to go as far as boldly saying, if there's no behavior change, there's no integration. Because you can have your inner behavior change, maybe of experience, mm -hmm. seeing things differently, but then if it doesn't, um, if it's not carried out into outer behavior change, then it's very likely our inner behavior change will just drift back to our old perspectives. But if we change our environment, then that will support the new perspectives being sustained. And that's how it can yeah. be a more lasting experience. So yeah. yeah, we get, so to summarize, we get maybe years of insights, but not years of behavior change. So therefore it's our job to make the years like of behavior that, change yeah. happen efficiently after mm -hmm. the psychedelic experience. So in the example that we yeah. do, we can kind of consider yeah. how that might happen. Beautiful. Okay. Well, let's, uh, let's step into it. What I'm tempted to ask you is what you did to prepare for your psychedelic experience. Maybe that mm. would be a good starting point. Okay. You'll have a bit of a narrative through what happened. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, uh, I, I, for the last, I guess, since how to change your mind came out, I guess, what was that three years ago or so? Um, 
by Michael Pollan. I've kind of it's been on my mind, and I and I met someone who, similar to me, was a you know sober twelve step person, and uh, and then um, took some some adventures into the psychedelic realm, and uh, so I was I've been thinking about it for some time, and um, um, but I I guess I was kind of back and forth about it because I was just worried about you know going down and and uh, to kind of resolve some some um, concerns I've had about being, uh, uh, you know, what it was about and what I was looking for. And, uh, and so I think over the last couple of years, I've, I've done that. And then, and then just in the past few months, uh, reconnected with a, with an old friend who, who's also uh, someone I've known in sobriety for, for several decades and, uh, and uh, has been, you know, ex, 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 uh, exploring um and so um so actually and actually i was in i was in vancouver um in september and um you know i i didn't even know that there you could just go to a store and buy it and so um i went and bought a gram of mushrooms and and just kind of a small kind of you know exploration um by myself in a park and it was beautiful and um and so the last couple of months has been, you know, a little bit more than that in terms of exploring. And then here came to Columbia. I'm here for to my family and, uh, and just happened to stumble upon a, an ayahuasca um, early, uh, ceremony here. So, yeah. Great. Yeah. And that was about two weeks ago. Yeah, that was, um, that was, yeah, two weeks ago, a week and a half ago. Yeah. Okay. That's really good timing. It's one thing in integration is timing, because this is once you've had an experience. You know, we often talk about the afterglow. That yeah, mm-hmm. you probably read about that in Michael Pollan's book. Yeah. It's fairly well established even in the psychedelic literature, um, from clinical points of view and even neurobiological points of view. That seems to be a temporary period after which you've experienced the psychedelic in which mm-hmm. you might be a bit more psychologically flexible in the my own research we've been measuring psych, uh, psychological flexibility on a daily basis um, using a really a super brief measure the brief acceptance measure where you can, we have nice graphs where you can see it increase after the um, longitudinal graphs it increases after the psychedelic experience and then drops, you know fades after mm-hmm. maybe three three or four weeks or something or sometimes sooner than that yeah so it's perfect yeah, it's yeah. good timing <laughs> yeah maybe do you have you had any sense of increased psychological flexibility or just relating to the world differently since then most- definitely definitely yeah and it's not you know it's um not been something i was necessarily after um but there has been a Gosh, I, I feel like my, I don't know how to, I guess I'm just going to speak freely. I think, I think spirit, spirit, spiritually, there's been a, it's been here for a while and there's more of a felt sense now. And um, mm-hmm. more of a connection with my, I guess self as perspective to put it in kind of these these terms, um, you know, just 
as an observer self, as uh, an ability to be present in a, in a more kind of holistic way with myself and others. Mm, great. <clears throat> Did you get a new perspective on yourself as content or who you have been being, so to speak? Yeah, definitely. Um, and I definitely, I don't know that there's resolution around that, <laughs> but I mean, it, it, it's like, uh, um, I just, it's kind of, um, being able to, I guess, kind of bathe the, my experiences to date, uh, and where I've been, I feel like, like, I've, I've, it's kind of, I have this image of like taking all these, this content and who Marcel is and what Marcel has been up to for the last several decades and kind of, kind of just, you know, like, a, like when you're developing photos, you just stick it in this thing and you pull it out and you're looking at it differently. And I don't know that there's, I have like judgments or resolution around whether or not that's been good or what, but it's offered kind of a like just like that it's like looking at these images from a you know not from you know here but out here you know not from the glasses mm. but you know out and um i definitely feel like i'm kind of in between chapters right now of my mm. my life yeah that's great to hear because again for looking at how integration can be done i think it's great that you have a sense of that develop developing or unfolding or something because I think another key part of integration during psychedelic therapy is to continue the work that began in the psychedelic ceremony to continue that afterwards because of course certain pieces of work are quite substantial and even in the intensity of psychedelic ceremony you won't necessarily deal with it or reach all the conclusions or reframes or insights or new perspectives that you might attain. Mm -hmm. So we could, it's possible to continue some of that now. Another way of looking at it is, um, um, I think the thresholds of what's possible therapeutically, you know, in any therapeutic approach, it's probably most therapeutic, most therapeutic approaches, we kind of think about what's accessible. So, you know, what can we feel? What are you, able to feel, willing to feel, um, what kind of reframes are possible for you. There are always limits to that. And during a psychedelic afterglow, I think those thresholds move. That's how I kind of see it okay. at least. Yeah. So while you're wafting your new developing photo of who you are, um, yeah. Um, one example of something that we could do is, um, if you have whatever felt sense yeah again it was great to hear you talk about this felt sense of something spiritual whereas before it was a little bit more heady mm -hmm. so if we could connect with that felt sense of the new emerging marcel we could find some words even that resonate with your felt sense of that then that could be a way of exploring that do you um, could you describe your felt sense, this felt sense you were mentioning? Hmm. I don't know. <laughs> Do you feel anything in your body as you recall your psychedelic experience or look back to what's just happened with your ayahuasca retreat? 
Mm. Yeah, there's a there's an increased sense of connection with mm. with others and um, a kind of compassion that isn't uh, <clears throat> compassion and empathy that that isn't uh, based on logic and reasoning. It's more, I don't know, I just think more about being on this, and in tune, I guess, in a way I think about maybe music and um, in harmony with that which is which is around me and those who are around me. Okay. So it sounds like there's something there along the lines of you feeling, you feel more in harmony, more empathic, more in tune, more connected with others. Yeah, and, and I don't and I don't know that, you know, it doesn't mean I haven't had conflict um, or judgments, but there's a certain kind of easy, I've been paying attention more to, I think, elements that I just hadn't been too present to. You know, I think that my, my predisposition is to be kind of the go, 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 planning, going thinking so um is to be just uptight uptight and uh um, mm, some kind of shift in that rather than than just um yeah there's been a shift and a, a slowing down mm, that hasn't been, and I'm not, it, it, this, that definitely hasn't been like, you know, 100% of the time, you know, like yesterday, I probably sat down and ate, I don't know, four candy bars, you know, like that, that is fucked up. And, uh, you know, like, I'm, it's not like I'm some saint now, <laughs> you know, like, uh, you know, um, so I don't, yeah, I don't know that, if that's answering what you're, what yeah. It does. Um, so there's a part of you that sounds like you're mentioning a part of you, a way of being since the retreats that responds a bit differently to conflict. But you mentioned a slowing down. It's like a different, mm. slightly different way of being, even though, like you said, there's also other parts of you that might eat four candy bars. Um, but you've got a sense of uh, more presence, um, perhaps attuned, compassionate, slowing down, less uptight was it, um, mm -hmm. the, the kind of way of being. Yeah. So how would yeah, you- A certain easiness, a certain easiness. For an sure. easiness, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And, and I guess to, to, to get back to one of your earlier questions, the part of the easiness is in inability to, um, watch more and be be more in this kind of observer self i don't I, and i'm i'm i know i don't want to i want to be careful because i i've had other times in my life where i have kind of mm, done a good job of numbing out and kind of disassociating from my experience you know and that's not that's not this for me um 
and I, I want to be careful about how I, I say that because I, I, it's not it's not about not experiencing what I'm experiencing, but it's also not being lost in and um, controlled by the whims and of you know emotional whims and and mental jargon and words. Mm -hmm. Okay, <clears throat> so um, if you were to just put into words a succinct description of this more present, less avoidant, um, with more ease, um, perhaps compassionate self, what, what words might you use? Perhaps you could take a couple of deep breaths. Another thing that we use a lot in the psychedelic world is breath work. Mm -hmm. I think it's a great shortcut, which I often do use in integration therapy sessions like this, where I might invite the person to just take a couple of deep breaths. Like that, if you want to take a couple of deep breaths. And as you do that, just see if you can feel into your body. And this, uh, more presence, more ease, less avoidant self. What is that? How do you experience that right now? If you connect with that, just yeah. in your, if you express it right now, mm. what, what would come out of your mouth? It would, it would be grounded in um, myself and more than myself, you know, me and more than me. And uh, connected to, yeah, I guess elements that I don't always connect with and uh, that aren't in the kind of our day-to-day -day attention. Uh, and this ability to kind of step back and, and be in, in a, a place of the observer um, in a loving way. Um, that isn't kind of disassociating, but is, uh, yeah, I mean, just kind of being able to see these stills in real time, you know, as I'm develop as they're developing and um, get a greater sense of how I want to be um, and uh, what I, I want to contribute. And, yeah. I think more in, in more in rhythm with, uh, uh, um, something that's authentic to me, not, not just lost in, um, um, others rhythms or some other, you know, chaotic rhythm of, of this, this, this planet and, you know, this, this society and culture that we live in, um, and technology and, um, yeah. So the pace is mm -hmm. the pace is different, and that's that's something that I'm catching up with right now. I think is this this varied pace. Mm -hmm. Okay, how does it land with you? If I kind of say back to you, uh, your authentic me and more than me self. What does that feel like? Yeah, I like it. It feels it feels nice. It feels good to to encapsulate it that way and. Uh, um, I think it captures kind of the, the, some, some essential elements of, of what I'm, what I've experienced. Mm, okay, great. Yeah. 
So one little exercise that we could do with that, this is actually mentioned in the supplementary materials of my paper that's uh, coming out, is we can explore that behaviorally in a way, brainstorming it um, by, I could ask you about what you might potentially do, what you could do from or as that authentic you and more than you self. Just as a way of thinking, yeah, and when I'm in that, from that perspective, what seems possible to me, what might I do? So as I ask you that, um, I can ask, get, uh, ask you that multiple times. It's a, it's a bit like how a meditation functions, where you have some kind of repetitive process. Mm-hmm. And I could just ask you to look into the, the, the infinite realm of possibility of anything you could ever do, whether small, the small, smallest, simplest little thing, or even a non-act you might choose not to do, um, or including grandiose, more grandiose, oh, yeah, I could do some big fancy project. Mm-hmm. So it's opening the doors of possibility to anything that surfaces for you. As I ask you what you could do, anything you could really do or um, that you would like to do from as that self when you're in touch with that part of yourself. Okay. Would you be interested in trying that out? Yeah. Yeah. You can just give me one example and then I'll just um thank you for that and ask you for another and it's just a way of kind of annoying exercising behavioral possibilities from that perspective okay okay all right then so as your authentic you and more than you self tell me something you might do Hmm. i would get good enough good enough at, at saxophone to really be able to express myself um in an unlimited fashion and explore myself. Yeah. Okay. And what might you do to move towards that? Um, would uh, probably continue with lessons, continue with lessons, and I would uh, um, put a plan in place. It will not, not let it be so. I would put some discipline around around, uh, you know, exploring, you know, on a daily, daily basis or whatever, you know, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I put some discipline around it. God damn it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, how, and how do you feel about doing that? I feel good about it. I feel like it's, uh, I feel it's needed for me to be able to, um, do what is, is really coming from my heart to be able to to explore music uh, and uh, the the nonverbal possibilities of my expression through music, <clears throat> um, I just gotta I gotta I gotta do some 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 heavy lifting to get there. Mm. Okay, how does it feel to tell me that? Uh, it it feels uh, like a commitment and. Uh, um, like I'm ex- kind of contractually bound. I'm, I'm, you know, outing myself here, and you know, through looking in, I'm to myself. I'm, I'm outing myself to myself on what you know is uh, is really calling me. Mm, okay. Yeah. yeah. All right then. So I'm just going to ask you the same question again, and you can just 
take just take it as it comes just whatever comes okay. comes to you no you didn't thank me for that though oh well thank you for pointing that out to me <laughs> yeah um i i yeah i do really connect with what you're saying now thank you for yeah. um adding yourself and um yeah i guess by making this public that's another way of kind of upping up i think the accountability of whether you do these things so well done for being so bold with that thank you um okay so um just asking you again as your authentic your authentic you and more than yourself tell me something you might really do continue to uh explore <clears throat> um and do heavy lifting around how I want to be in my relationship and uh, my, you know, with my partner and um, what's going to be, I don't know. I don't want to say best because there's no way I'm going to know what's going to be best, but just there's some elements there that I need to, I need to explore. And um, I want to continue to do that. And, and probably on my own, I think that I've, I've, you know, explore it a lot with others and in group settings and <clears throat> support. Um, but I mean, for me, it's a lot, you know, a lot of my, you know, the, the journal is, is, you know, I, um, I need to, I need to get into, to that. So that's my, yeah. Answer to that question. Mm -hmm. Okay. As your authentic you and more than yourself, what might you specifically do in your relationship with your partner? I guess belly up and um, have conversations I've been just, you know, waiting for to magically arrive. Mm. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Do you have a sense of any barrier right now to having those conversations mm, the bear i think the main barrier is the the waiting you know my like okay the the uh, you know the in waiting for some environment like you know the, the, the stars have to align kind of thing for it to be and um i have to create that um, and um, gather myself and that's where the journaling comes in and gathering myself as to what is important because I'm someone who's um, I would say my uh, uh, self one of my struggles with self has been a you know more of a being more pliant uh, and you know people pleaser and uh, uh, dominant suppliance and so I need to kind of grow myself and spend time to, to see what, you know, and, and then, and then go towards the, what I want, you know, in terms of connecting, you know? Mm -hmm. Okay. What might the authentic you and more than yourself do about that waiting and about that pliance? I go back to those, those the, the developing of the, the photographs and the stills and slowing down, uh, creating space for uh, this to be uh, 
something that's explore you know, um, rather than just this kind of avalanche of life that just keeps building and going you know and uh, um, so I think that for me the way that happens is probably you know organization around around looking at it and creating space for for you know journal and self-exploration around around this relationship mm. yeah okay anything else you'd like to say about that i'll ask you again i'll just see what surfaces as your authentic you and more than yourself Tell me something you might do. I, I guess I, I so probably, uh, okay, yeah. So um, taking this, taking this um, to, you know, family relationships that um, are kind of stagnant and you know, especially, you know, my mom, my dad, my brother, you know, like really important people in my life to um, move past the status quo of our relationship. And what might you do to move past the status quo? I think the first place is writing for me. That kind of eliminates the, the, the pliance to a certain degree, because I can you know, I don't have to worry about someone's responding or I can just kind of explore for myself. Um, and so I'm thinking about letters. It's something I've thought about for some time now. Um, it's, you know, it's starting a correspondence, you know, with, with them. God damn it. Can you hear that? Yeah. That's good. Um, so, um, yeah, I, I, you know, we have, um, doing something like that that uh, provides for uh, a regular communication and is also I, I think there's something sacred about writing someone a letter and you know devoting that time and um, uh, something I'd like to I've, I've done at times in my in the past in terms of you know communicating with people and um, I'd like I'd like that I think that's a yeah mm -hmm. okay I'm very tempted to ask you what the core message might be in such a letter, but tell me if that's too much for a. Um, well, I can just always public. edit it out. I can edit it out. Yeah, so. you can edit it out. Yeah. Yeah. And as your authentic you and more than yourself, how might you express that right now if you um, somehow speaking that out right now? I don't know. There's so many words that I don't know that I can, can put it to a, a, like a concise message, you know? Okay. Yeah. How do you feel about writing a letter? So you, you're going to write a letter right after this recording. How does that prospect feel? How does what? How does that prospect feel? You imagine yourself writing um, like right after this podcast. Yeah, it feels daunting. It feels like, oh shit, you know, like 
Mm. I mean, part of it is things that I would maybe not even send, you know, just writing it for myself. That because it's kind of, you know, this undergrowth that has been impacting how I interact, engage with them. And um, be good for me to just see that. And uh, so I think that me thinking about it in terms of just writing it to write it, not to even send it, but just to write and just express and explore, that feels less daunting. Mm, okay. Yeah. Yeah, that does sound like something you could do. Yeah. Um, um, the part of you that feels daunted, what does that feel like? Does that feel like a, a younger part of you? Mm. Is it familiar? No, it feels like a... Uh, kind of a resentful part of me. Like, a, mm. you know, uh, you know, this, I guess it's a, I guess it's definitely, it's younger, uh, but yeah, there's, like uh, some some strong emotions there, some anger, and uh... um, okay, thank you. And this your authentic you more than you part. How might that respond to this resentful part of you? I think by getting to know it more and um, revisiting it and in a genuine way with where I am now, you know, um, and uh, and and um, kind of mapping it out, you know, really, really, really getting to know it, um, seeing what's there. Mm -hmm. Is there anything your authentic you more than you part of yourself might say right now to the resentful part? Let's go for a walk. Mm. Okay. If you have the resentful part, hear that, receive that, how does he respond? Uh, there's a lot of buts and shoulds in there. Uh, um, but uh, there's a willingness to to explore and to go go for a walk. Mm. Okay. And how does the authentic, the more than you part, respond to that? Is there anything you'd like to say in response to his willingness to go for a walk? Hmm. Yeah, it's just there's not there's a warm compassionate smile and uh yeah and how does the resentful part of you responds to the warm to the warm empathic smile feels comfortable and trusting of of this uh, invitation. Mm. Okay. Is there anything else the resentful part would like to say or 
you have any needs you'd like to express? Yeah, I guess I, what came up was this like desire for help, you know, like help me. Okay. Mm. And how would your authentic self more than you, part of yourself respond to that request for help? Mm. I think about, uh, you know, when we're out for a walk and my son, who's three, asks if I can carry him, you know? So I, you know, happily pick him up and hold him tight and carry him. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And can you hold the resentful part of yourself in the same way you hold your three-year-old son? What's that like? Yeah, it feels uh, like a release in terms of, you don't know, kind of thrashing about or uh, it feels comforting, you know, like a, something that this resentful part has been longing for. Mm. Okay. Is there anything else the resentful part, your resentful part would like to say or express? No. Okay. Is there anything else your authentic, you more than you, part of you would like to say or express? Not, no, I think I'm, I'm feeling pretty full there. Mm. Tell me more about the full feeling. Um, just like, I don't know. I feel like content with the elements that I was able to express and um, I don't want to detract or pull away or stretch those out. Um, I want to protect those and uh, not not not, not um, water down in any way. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Mm. And how willing do you feel right now to perhaps write that letter or? Um, to live out this authentic you that connects, communicates uh, with the family? I'd say uh, very willing. I don't know how to grade it. <laughs> I wish I need to grade it, but I'm feeling willing. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know that, um, you know, as, the, as time has passed since some recent voyages, uh, psychonautical voyages, I, I am finding that this topic of self and authenticity that uh, is is just, it's becoming more and more paramount for me. What I feel drawn to say right now is um, kind of in just communicating how this could be part of a psychedelic integration process. Okay. Often what um, I might be doing at this moment or might have been doing during this process is each time you express something that you might do, I might write it down in, um, especially when it's online therapy like this, I can write down each of these potential actions mm-hmm. in like a shared online spreadsheet, worksheet. 
and then with a record of all of them you can return to them and think oh yeah actually i really want to do that one or um or i don't need to, to do that one now and as it's uh, it's a way of structuring what you might do in your journaling anyway but when it's tracked on a worksheet like that it's easy to identify barriers thoughts other parts that kind of come along and say oh no i don't i don't want to do that now i haven't got time or mm-hmm. need to wait longer or any barriers to to pinpoint what the precise barriers are so that those barriers can be brought into the work if that seems to be the key when you've identified the key parts or the key pieces that you'd like to give energy to during the integration process. Okay. So, um, and you've met, cause just now uh, you've mentioned quite a few possibilities. Mm-hmm. Um, you kind of ended up centering around the communicating with your family mm-hmm. and stuff before that too. Mm-hmm. Um, so what we've done there is kind of uh, through just exploring potential actions that you might engage in, kind of also moved into parts work a little bit. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we could do more parts work, um, getting permission from protectors to go deeper or even explore if there are even younger child parts that uh, feel um, that it's, need that protector or the father the, or the protector wishes to protect the younger child part from feeling what he felt or still feels on some level mm-hmm. during times when his needs weren't met you could dig deeper into that yeah um, and I, I really i really like your use of um parts work internal family systems because i think it's a nice way to get at these these elements and i guess constructs that um uh, put some meat on the bone a little bit um, I've, I've thought for some time that there's there's some nice overlap between cbs and internal family systems yeah like it says in the paper i think it really helps uh go deeper with what the what we normally call the, the passengers on the bus Mm -hmm. it points out some really common functions of those behaviors of those inner voices that we hear or inner urges that seem to get in the way of what we really want um so yeah having dialogues like that with them um in a way accepts them more so so it's a strategy for having even greater acceptance of the so-called bus passengers as Mm -hmm. we usually call them in act yeah yeah because in in in, um oftentimes in act you know we'll do perspective work and go back um but i I like this uh this it's there's almost like a physicalizing of it that happens in the internal family systems that that adds some more a little bit more a nice element to add i like it Mm -hmm. yeah it can give you a clearer sense of the these different perspectives Mm -hmm. um you can have them by having them communicate with each other you get even more of a sense of this young part that perhaps Mm -hmm. didn't feel looked after or feels resentful um yeah what does the compassion more compassionate part look like from his point of view in a way we're tuning in more deeply to what are these voices and where are they really coming from what do they really want that's a deeper functional analysis as well i think Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, a friend of mine who's a retired psychologist and has um, done a lot of psychodrama and parts work in his career asks me, you know, what was my relationship? Something. What is uh, well, my relationship was to my my addict. You know, my addict part. And uh, shit, I was like, well, I just tell him to stay in the closet, you know, or shame him, you know. I don't, you know, I don't know. I so it was an interesting question and uh, led to some nice exploration. So it's, yeah. Great. So, is, so um, one of the things I was thinking was, I mean, is there anything that before we move on to talking more about the article and, and other self topics, I'm wondering if there's more we should unpack and, and um, from, from this example that you led me on, anything that, that's coming up for you? Um, yeah, I think I've said a lot of the things I wanted to say about it. Um, yeah, I've kind of already said about, I mean, I could just asking that repetitive question. It's something I'm, I'm influenced by, um, something I learned in my uh, TIR traumatic incident reduction training of just using repetitive protocols. I think they can, repetitive protocols can be used to operationalize many things in any of the ACT, uh, hexaflex core processes or even functional analysis. I think if you can turn something into a repetitive meditation, it's a way of intensifying and doing more of what you want to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, yeah, one thing I would like to say is by having you ask, by asking you, what would you do from that more authentic self place, I'm actually behaviorally instructing you to assume that perspective, because you have to assume yeah. that perspective to know, feel what you would actually do from that perspective. Mm -hmm. So in the same way that doing press ups would strengthen your arm or chest muscles. Mm -hmm. If I repetitively ask you to what you would do from that perspective, in a way you're strengthening your ability to assume that perspective and know what you would do from that perspective. So yeah, it's it's it's, it's very behavioral. I'm asking you to really do something there and then in the therapy session rather than talking about something that you might get around to doing for for homework. So that's that's how I understand what what we were doing, as well as having uh, an executable list of things for you to actually do. We actually generate a list of possibilities that are there already written out and you can choose, oh yeah, I really want to focus on this one and that one. So those are kind of multiple benefits of an exercise like that. That's how I understand it. Okay. And quite quite okay. often I might just focus on generate, I'm asking such a question multiple times because we might have a list of having done this in a study with many people often you end up with a list of 10 options or more mm -hmm. um and this that's kind of really handy it's got a certain currency to it i think i have all these possibilities i can do and i can just go and do some of them mm -hmm. or if some of them are a bit more too, you know too grandiose or too time consuming to be real realistic just like we do in normal values work in act you can always figure out a less an, an easier lower key option um sort of for example one person in the study who had an idea about doing something uh, quite big for the environment maybe going to south america and saving the rainforest or something which might not fit into his busy schedule he could still you know um in knowing that he valued that conservation or 
you could once you have the value of course a classic thing in actors you can extrapolate to a, a lower key version so he could i think he chose to donate money to he donated some money to an organization that did what he would yeah. have ideally like to have done himself in person but perhaps didn't have time for mm-hmm. so you can create a lot of doing from such an exercise as well as of course finding what are the barriers Probably. what are the barriers to actually acting all that out which of course in, in classic act again and with mm-hmm. the willingness and the thoughts but then we can also as well as noticing there are thoughts that get in the way i don't have enough time we can also reframe those thoughts and diffuse those thoughts by giving them to particular parts of yourself by noticing oh that's mm-hmm. um, another part of me that feels he never has time or feels he's not good enough or feels he just can't do it yeah so that's how you can intertwine kind of parts work and such a doing exercise with act principles well thank you i really i appreciate your uh taking me through that uh that was lovely and uh yeah i yeah i do hope it was helpful and